We are about to take a week off from our series through the book of James. We are about to take a week off from James today. So if you came today looking forward to hearing from James, I'm sorry we did not pre-announce to you our other intentions. We did kind of do two weeks in one last week, so there's that. But we're taking a week off to kind of do some in-the-house business. So that's different. But I do want to take a quick moment and look at one verse in James. So if you, did, if you came excited about the James study, we're going to give you one verse. Yay! Because we left off last week with James 5, verse 11. And next week we're going to resume our study with James 5, beginning with verse 13. But right in the middle is verse 12, and it's kind of an unusual verse. Um, because it kind of... It's an unusual verse. It, it, it kind of goes with the previous verses, but it kind of stands alone. And so, anyhow, we didn't want a whole week for it anyhow, so it's a good time for us to have to do this. So let's look at our one James verse together. Ready? James 5, verse 12, it says this. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Now, this is one of those verses, there are many spots in the Bible that you can puzzle over uh, until you're a puzzler is sore, just thinking about what it might be talking about um, fully, because you, you get the idea, but what's all the nuance? I did a lot of reading of Bible scholars and students and ancient writers in the last centuries about this verse. And the consensus all seems to be about the same, largely. And that is that what James is largely saying is this. You don't need to make extra uh, personal oaths and promises. Just tell the truth and mean what you say. Now, that's really the, the basic skinny on it. I, I, will, I will add this detail. There are some who've taken this verse and another verse and have said that you should never, like, make an oath, like in court, putting your hand on the Bible, or you should never do that, you know. But I think when the president does that on, you know, being sworn into office, or when someone does it before giving testimony in court, that's different because it's a setting people don't know you, you're, you're making a commitment publicly. But when it comes to personal oaths, James is saying, you don't, shouldn't need to do that personally. We should just tell the truth. We should just mean what we say. Because sometimes we're really good at basically trying to say, I promise on a stack of Bibles. Like somehow that stack of Bibles will make it. Make, I mean, like, are we usually dishonest? Is that why we do that? I always wonder, you know. Like when people say things like, well, to tell you the truth, as opposed to what I normally say. <laughs> right? Or like, well, honestly, as opposed to, you know, what? So when we were, we're saying that kind of stuff, we're almost implying that we're not always telling the truth. And we shouldn't have to go swear, you know, on our mother's grave and step on a crack and don't break her back, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, poke a needle in my eye on a stack of Bibles. I mean, that just, that just shouldn't be the case. We should be people who just, if, if we say yes, we mean yes. If we say no, we mean no. If we say we'll do something, we do it. If we say we won't, we don't. We just keep our word. Our word and a handshake should be our character. Our integrity should matter. And when you go beyond that, it becomes dangerous. In fact, James is kind of quoting Jesus here. Jesus quoted, said this all the time. In fact, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records what Jesus said in Matthew 5.33. Here's what Jesus said. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. So James is reminding them, Jesus is reminding them of the law, the Mosaic law, the written law, the oral traditions that they had. And he says it was in your Hebrew law not to break your vows. Carry out your vows. In other words, make vows and keep them. They're that important. 
But then Jesus said in verse 34, but I say, and whenever Jesus says, but I say, you should always remember how significant that is. Basically, he's saying, I trump Moses. Like, everything that's before is great, but something better has come, and I'm fulfilling and completing that, and we're starting, uh, this is, I'm bringing something new to the table. Like, he, he said, it's a big statement to make, unless you're God, which Jesus basically validated when he died and rose again. Jesus said, I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, by heaven I shall do this. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. In other words, you can't swear by heaven because heaven is not your collateral. How are you going to pay up? Like, oh, I didn't keep my word. Here's heaven. I mean, you can't, you don't have, heaven's not collateral for you. Don't say that. Or he goes on to say, verse 35, he says, do not say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. Do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't promise things. You can't make oaths about things that you can't use as collateral because you have no control over. In fact, he even says in verse 36, do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black, or in some cases grow it back. Um, it's just you have no power. He says, don't do that. In what he says in verse 37, Jesus says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. In other words, when we start saying that yes and no is not enough, and I have make personal oaths and swearing if I really mean what I'm saying, then we're basically almost subconsciously or consciously saying, if I'm not making that kind of an oath or vow, then I don't mean it as much. We're almost giving ourselves room to not be honest the rest of the time. Does that make sense? He's saying you shouldn't do anything. You should just be a person of integrity and a person of your word. Or if I can summarize the idea, we should live truth and speak truth. And our word and our handshake ought to matter. Live truth and speak truth. And that's what Jesus is saying here, what James was repeating here. And that's our study for today from James. That's all we're doing from James today. You're dismissed. Have a great Sunday. Just kidding. Don't leave. Um, <laughs> oh, bummer, man. That was great. Um, we should do that more often. So no, what we're going to do here is we're going to take a break from James today. That was the only part we'll do. We'll come back to it next week. Today I want to talk about something about our church and about one of the most important things we do, one of our most important ministries. Let me begin by saying this. Um, sometimes we can, we can put a pretty good show that we have it all together. What I mean by that is this. Um, you know, some of us, we're very committed to what we do and we study big churches. We're not a big church. Depends on how you measure size, but um, I think we're, we would call ourselves a smaller church. We have two congregations, 9 o'clock, 1045 online, but we're not a big church. We're not a mega church by any means. We're not even a big church by, by those stretches at all. Um, but small churches, smaller churches, less than a couple hundred people, 200 or less. Um, sometimes you, you're not very organized. You try to be. We've studied the big churches a lot and what they do well, how professional they are, how efficient they run, how smooth things go. And we've tried to learn a lot. And we put on a pretty good show to fake everyone out. But we don't have the budget, the money to do all the fancy stuff. We don't have the, first of all, we don't have the staff to pay because we don't have the money again. Or because we, you know, we, don't, have, we don't have all the fancy footwork. Our camera work, our audio video team does a great job for what we have to work with. I mean, we just, we do a good job with what we do because we have a handful of people who just are really faithful. We have a handful of people who roll up their sleeves and they just, we're just consistent. Uh, just show up unless we're you know, on vacation or rarely, you know, that, that ill. We just kind of, we're here, we do our thing. And a handful of consistent, hardworking people who put in extra time during the week to prepare. I mean, our worship team works hard. Our worship team practices one evening of the week. 
Um, we had a curveball this morning with a last-minute cancellation, but they work hard during the week. They work hard on Sunday mornings. They're here like four hours or more uh, on Sundays. I mean, it's a, it's a long day, but two services, a practice time beforehand, plus a midweek night. Uh, I preach. My, my sermons are done. Not, I don't write my own sermons. I, I do it as a team, a team effort to prepare the messages, and I usually preach them. This will be my fifth time delivering this message, twice to a live audience three times before anyone saw it. We put a lot of work into what goes on. A lot behind the scenes happens, but it's a handful of people who are really committed. And they make it look smoother because sometimes small churches, you walk in and you might walk in and see like the, the I know of pastors who are spending time that morning with their Bible in the corner trying to figure out what they're going to preach in a few minutes. I've known those stories plenty of times. Also, there's many a church where the worship music's the same way. The song leader's up there saying, who's got a song today? Uh, someone can someone play the piano? <laughs> we could use somebody up here. You got a song? I mean, and so we've really tried to be efficient and we try to do things first class and, and professional. But the good side is we do as well as we do for a small church. The bad news, there's a bad side to that. The bad side is it can give the impression that we don't need a lot of help. <laughs> and so the truth is, is that we could really, there's so much to be done. There's so much that we could do better or at all. But it takes I can't make the same few people do even more sometimes, and so it just takes more help. I might say this at the end of the message, I, I, I intend to, but Jesus once said to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He said, so I want you to, I want you to pray. Don't pray for the harvest. Just go and do, the harvest is already there. Pray for laborers. So get out, roll your sleeves up, get busy, and then while you're doing it, pray for laborers. And we, we want to do the same. And so I want to reach out today and talk about something our church does that's very important. And today I want to talk about family ministry. Family ministry. Family ministry is such a big, big idea. And with school starting this week, it's a good time for us to discuss family ministry. When I say family ministry, I mean ministering to families and their needs through childcare, children, uh, uh, nursery at church, children's church. Uh, things we do for families. Family ministry is important. We want to serve families well. And we do that when parents can come and have their kids ministered to because they want that for their kids. And also when they can sit back and take a breather and be ministered to themselves. And we can strengthen families. Our community is growing. Cedar Lake is growing. If you haven't looked around, if you are here and don't know that Cedar Lake is growing, you must have moved here this week. It is growing crazy. And it's growing with a lot of young families who are coming in, and our schools are catching the, the brunt of that. And there's a lot of people who are going to either have school-age kids or will one day. And our ability to minister to them is so important to our future. So family ministry. And family ministry is so important to us because children specifically were very important to Jesus. And I want to show you that from the Bible for a little bit here. In fact, Matthew, who writes one of the accounts of Jesus' life, there's four gospel accounts in our scriptures, Matthew's account tells two stories of Jesus discussing children, almost back to back. I want to look at the second story first and then go back to the earlier one afterwards. If you want to follow along, we'll begin in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 13. Matthew 19 and verse 13 says, one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. Okay, let's, um, my famous cliche, let me pause here. Um, let's pause and take a moment to say 
that here are some parents who just want to get their kids to be blessed by Jesus. When it says lay his hands on them, it was a common tradition for people to put their hands on someone's head or maybe their shoulder and pray for them. If someone was a person of a rabbi or a prophet or a miracle worker, like Jesus was known to be all of the above, you want him to be like blessing your children. Jesus was known to have such healing power that a person could touch the hem of his garment and be healed. And so Jesus, they wanted their kids to come to Jesus so he could, he could put his hands on top of their heads. Or he he lays hands on them and pray over them. They wanted his, his blessing because every parent wants their children to be blessed, right? We all want our children to be blessed by God and be led. And these parents are eager to get their kids to Jesus, possibly because something he said in a previous chapter that we'll see momentarily. But they're trying to get their kids to Jesus. The problem is, it says, but, always something good's happening, there's always a but, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. The disciples were like, oh, no, he's important. He's a busy man. He's got to help the important people. He's got to help the big people, the important people. So, you know, <laughs> you know, everyone's got a different approach. I'm not saying the disciples did not like children. That's not what I'm saying. They were probably just trying to be a good security detail in their own minds or something, right? I mean, the disciples, maybe some of them didn't like kids. Everyone's different. Everyone, some people love children. They love to work with children. Some people, they, 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 they survive children. Um, and some children are different. Some kids were raised and taught to be, you know, you children should be seen and not heard, and the kids always sit still and are so good. And you know, everyone's like, oh, your kids are so good. And the kids are like, ah, you know, but... Then there's other people who are like, maybe because they went through that, they're like, just do whatever you want to. And, and they interrupt everybody and, they're, and there's just no sense of boundaries. And so we understand that, you know, everything's different. I don't think the disciples were having a grumpy attitude about kids. I think the disciples were trying to protect Jesus from doing the important things he was doing. They were acting like a security detail. They all their black suits and white shirts and ties and their sunglasses. They all called Mr. Smith. It was James Smith and Peter Smith. And they're all like, and they had their little, they had their little microphone, their little, uh, what do they call those? Uh, yeah. They're like, we've got a code 49, code 49. And, and, and Matthew and, and, uh, uh, and uh, J James jump in and tackle some children. And it's all on camera and it goes viral on Instagram. No, I'm just kidding. But they're just trying to keep Jesus from being bombarded. And so they're saying to the parents, hey, no, he's busy. He can't pray for your children and put his hands on their heads and pray and bless them. But what does Jesus say to this in verse 14? But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. And then he makes a statement that's so good. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Now, if you've read your Bible much, you'll know that Jesus in several places, in the different gospel accounts all worded a little differently, several times in the scriptures we see Jesus making a statement like this. Basically, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And what Jesus teaches, as you put these passages together, he's saying that we, are, we come to God with a childlike faith. And we should understand this because the problem with some of us is we grew up. We grew up and we, and we let life sour us. And as we got older, we, we've become jaded. And we've become cynical because of things that have happened to us in life. Or things that others have done to us. And we have, we have a walls built because of how somebody, maybe some, somebody treated us. Or maybe someone who called themselves a Jesus follower. Or maybe even a spiritual leader. And so we have walls and, 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 
and, and maybe we come along and we are, we've been hurt along. Maybe, maybe just life has happened and we're kind of mad at God or frustrated by everything. We've lost our dreams, we've lost our innocence, and we've lost our wonder. And boy, adults are, that's why it's easier to talk to kids about faith in Christ and they're interested and their eyes are wide open. And you talk to some adults and we'll just be been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, been hurt along the way. And it's just a whole different, you know, we're, so, we're smarter than we think we are. No, we think we're smarter than we are. That's what it is. And it's just an interesting conversation. And Jesus says, the way that we come to the Father, we come, the kingdom of heaven, it belongs to those who are like these children who come with that, that wonder, that innocence, that, yeah, that faith, that childlike faith and trust, and belief, and willingness to follow and listen and be humble and wonder. And that's a beautiful thing. And so in verse 15, it says, that um, he, Jesus placed his hands on their heads, the children's heads, and he blessed them before he left. And the parents were happy. Everyone's happy, right? He put his hands on their head. He blessed them. Now, what's interesting about this story, to me, is what happens just before this story. Just one chapter earlier in Matthew's written record, he has another conversation about children that when you read the other one first, this one makes you wonder why the disciples did what they did here. Because back to Matthew 18 and verse 1, here's what we find. It says, it says um, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And the disciples were always asking this question, who's the greatest? They had, a, they had real aspirations. Because again, Jesus was going somewhere. They saw his miracles. They heard his teachings. He was something else. He drew crowds. They believed in him. They thought that Jesus was a good stock to invest in because they could ride that thing to, uh, to their own future. So, so they were like, who's the greatest? In fact, one time, two of them asked to be seated on his right hand and his left hand in his coming kingdom. They were, they were all jockeying for some positions sometimes, often arguing about who was the greatest. And in other spots, when they would argue of who was the greatest— Jesus would stop them and, and use it as a teaching moment to say, I'll tell you who's the greatest is the servant. Serving is great in God's economy. In the world's economy, great people have servants. In God's economy, great people are servants. And he taught that lesson. He taught the importance of serving. Like he came to do it. Like he came to serve us, even though he's God. And so he teaches that lesson to, to, to teach a humility in a different perspective. But in this context, he takes a different analogy. In this context, they ask the same question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus doesn't go down the serving path. He goes down the child path. Verse number two, Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Powerful statement. Verse 4 as well. Verse 4, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And again, Jesus is calling us to childlike faith and trust that we can lose as we get older and life happens and we become jaded and skeptical and a thousand other things. And he says, don't look past the children that you're looking past because they have an innocence and a faith and a belief and a trust and a and a, and a fellowship and a humility and a wonder that we can lose and we need to recapture that desperately. And that's the way to believe in God. 
And then Jesus makes a statement in verse 5 that's going to be central. and We're going to look at it now and come back to it in a little bit because it's a big deal. So bear with me. Uh, I mean, if, we're, if, we're, um, if you're starting to zone out because I'm still talking, I've got a long ways to go. Uh, verse 5 is so good. Jesus says, And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. That is a huge statement. I, I, just, I just don't want us to sh- zoom past it. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this, like the child he brought in the midst, like, like this, who welcomes them on my behalf. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you serve the children in my name, when you, in my name as Christian people, serve the children to tell them about me and bring me to them and bring them to me, and you serve the children and welcome the children on my behalf, Jesus says, you are welcoming me. When you welcome them, you're welcoming me. When you serve them, you're serving me. When you bless them, you are blessing me. Now, this is huge because Jesus is telling us, here's how you can do something for God. Because if we're being really frank, it's hard to know how you can do anything for God. Like, what do you give God? Seriously. Like, what do you you give the guy who has everything? Have you ever had a friend in your life who has all the money, all the power, and you're like, how do I give them anything? They have it all. What do you give God? Like, our praise and worship, our gratitude. We can give God our gratitude. That's what we can give him. My gratitude, Lord. But what can we do for God? Seriously. And, and yet in the scriptures, there are these little glimpses along the way that Jesus gives us as clues as the things that we can do that God says you did it to me. There's several of them. This is one of them. It's powerful. This is like, if you're the kind of person who likes to listen for the hints of people that you love to know what gift to buy them, some of us are really good at that. Some of us are bad. Like, I'm bad at reading the, I'm, you, don't subtly hint to me. I'll be like, miss the whole thing. You just got to kind of tell me bluntly. But we have people who are really good at seeing and reading the, between the lines and doing something special. We, in our family, uh, Brett, our son Brett's girlfriend, um, Carly, is amazing at giving gifts. She is amazing at it. Because she will hear things throughout the year or she'll just observe things, she'll notice things. And when she brings gifts at Christmas time or birthdays, she, you're like, whoa, that was so thoughtful. I mean, she is really is a, she's good at that. Like, I'm not good at that. I'm like, here's some, uh, you need some more socks again? I don't know what you needed. And uh, here's some cash to go spend the cash. I don't buy what you want to buy. I don't care. But she like, she nails it because she's so good. at. And, and I wish I was more like that. I should be. But here's the thing. If you want to kind of figure out like how to read, how you can do something for God, how you can give to God, Jesus gives us a few little peeks. Here's one of them. He says, when you welcome a little child like this on my behalf, when you serve the kids in my name and bring them to me and me to them, when you take care of them and bless them and welcome them and serve them, you are blessing me, welcoming me and serving me. This is how you can do something for God. That's big. And I want to come back to that in a moment. But first... Jesus brings up a subject that's a little more sensitive. He's going to get a little bit, he's going to turn the corner to a negative statement. We need to talk about that too. So verse 6, he says this, But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoa, that's a statement. That, that's like, that is heavy. Like, tie a bill around your neck and drown in the sea. That's, the, that's what you read. That's the mafia movies you watch where the mob takes the person and they tie, them, they tie the concrete blocks to their ankles and they throw them in the pond. 
You know, that, that's, that's heavy. Seriously, right? Like, um, and apparently that didn't start with the mafia because a couple thousand years ago, that was a reference that people understood. So that, as long as there's been water and, and you know, whatever, um, th- this is savage. But Jesus is saying, as bad as that is, that would be better than for us to cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin. That phrase, fall into sin, uh, used elsewhere or translated elsewhere, it sometimes says to causes them to stumble or, or harms them. Harms them or causes them to stumble. And that makes sense. And unfortunately, in this sinful, broken world we live in, a lot of harm gets done to, to others and a lot of harm gets done to children. And I'm thinking of um, three ways, particularly, you see harm done to children. One is uh, verbal abuse, one is physical abuse, and one is sexual abuse. And, um, you know, our, our society will deal with the physical abuse and sexual abuse, but the verbal abuse happens almost unchecked, unfortunately. But these are ways we harm children. And how does that harm children? Well, obviously, besides the obvious, it causes them to stumble or even fall into sin because when we do something wrong to somebody, you can take their innocence away or you can devastate their heart or you can hurt them. You can cause them to become jaded, to lose confidence, to open up bad doors in their own life for their own bad behaviors. I mean, so much bad happens when children are harmed. And Jesus said, it's a big deal to me. I mean, as the verse makes it clear. So, we live in a broken world and a lot of bad things happen. Parents have done bad things to their children. Um, not beyond any verbal abuse, you've seen you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse happen in families and relatives and neighbors and all sorts of things. Um, unfortunately, it's happened by Christian people through the years, Christian people who will do something wrong to harm somebody else in this way. And I want to focus a little bit on sexual abuse specifically right now today, so give me a few minutes here. Uh, I know this is heavy. But we need to say this as a church once in a while. We need to say this. And this is a good time because it fits in our scripture. Um, unfortunately, some people call themselves Christians have been guilty of sexual abuse. And um, that's harmful, especially when someone does it who claims God's name. But uh, I'll tell you what's even, the, it's happened in churches, unfortunately. It's happened by leaders, unfortunately. Uh, and tragically and wickedly. Here's the thing. As bad as that is, and that's bad. What has been way worse, and we've seen it in culture, is when religious institutions cover it up. When they cover it up. We can think about the decades now of hearing stories of the Catholic Church covering up priests who were asked to be celibate their whole lives, and then they were burning, and they had altar boys, and they did some bad stuff. Or, and I'm not mentioning the Catholics, because I came from fundamental Baptist background. I can tell you how many leaders in churches like that have been guilty in, in the fundamental Baptist realm, of, in the, and even Southern Baptist realm. There's, they're, they're going through their whole thing right now, trying to sort, sort their mess out of sexual abuse that happened in their churches through the years that was covered up. And I'll tell you, as bad as the abuse is, the cover-up is way more damaging. Because when someone's allowed to, to do something wrong and there's, it's not handled properly, it can happen if it doesn't happen properly. Long-term damage gets done. The child is not allowed to get the help they need because no one knows. The, um, the, the person who does something wrong isn't held to, to accountability so they can go out and hurt other people, plus progress down their own dark path further. Other people become victims and credibility is destroyed and damage is done. That happens in the world and it should never happen. So I just think I'd take a couple minutes here and this is heavy to say something to our church right now for, your, for the going forward. Number one, if you are inclined to hurt a child in any way, particularly sexually, but anyway, 
and you think that you might do something like that, you need to go talk to somebody right away. Do not play in that playground. Go see someone and get some help fast. You say, well, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid of getting help and bringing it open. Be afraid of what will happen if you go down that path. Go get some help. Second of all, if you've ever done something to harm a child, you need to report yourself. You say, well, that, that's not a good idea because there's, there's heavy consequences. I didn't know that. But I promise you they're not going to be as bad as the consequences later if it lingers and it comes out later. It will only get worse for you and for everyone, including the child and everyone else who could be affected, if it comes out later. The best thing you can do and they say, well, it's already been later. But if it's not come out, come clean right away. Listen, uh, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Now, I know this is hard, there's, Jesus is very clear and harsh about this. But once we've done wrong things, bring it to the light. The best, there's always grace to be found when, when confession happens, when things are brought to the light. But it has to be dealt with the right way. And it cannot be covered up. It can't be hidden. And let me say this to you. If you have ever been victimized by somebody, if you've ever been, you know, again, I'm talking about any kind of abuse, but especially sexual abuse, no matter how old you are, don't be afraid or embarrassed to step forward because I know, I know it's hard and it's personal, but what, what happens is someone might be allowed to continue hurting other people. And you need to make sure that that's not helping anybody. You've got to come clean for other people's sake, if not for your own, because you might really could benefit from some counseling. And that person needs to get help so they don't get worse and someone else might need to be protected. And, and, and moms and dads especially, teach your children. We all ought to do this everywhere at church. We talk to our kids' workers about helping to make this message clear as well. But moms and dads especially, tell your kids, the yell and tell. Like, don't get themselves alone with another adult. Just don't avoid that. And if someone tries to get them someplace, if they're getting a weird spot or something's being done inappropriately, yell, get away, do what they have to do. If something happens to them that they can't stop, tell someone immediately so that someone can, so be, and, and tell the kids, never be embarrassed to tell the truth, never be embarrassed to come forward because you're not the bad guy, you did nothing wrong, but you're not only helping yourself, you're helping stop something else from happening to somebody else or protecting others. Tell your kids to yell and tell. Speak, have these conversations. I know they're awkward, but have these conversations with your children. I want to say this to the Lighthouse Church volunteers and workers and people of Lighthouse Church. If you ever see, keep, be vigilant at our church. If you ever see something weird, don't avoid it. If you ever see somebody walking someplace to go to someplace with a child or around a corner or something just looks off, don't avoid it. Get nosy. Get involved and get nosy right then at what's going on and catch it. Like just walk into the situation and don't let something happen. It'd be better to unnecessarily intervene than to let something bad happen out of timid, you know, timidity. If you see something that happens afterwards that you didn't know and it might be too late, but you think something may have happened, report it so we can investigate it. Tell someone. This goes for your jobs and any other place, but it involves the church too. Um, I don't, are you saying, you know something, Arlen? I know of nothing. Listen, I know of nothing going on in our church. Please, Lord, I hope not. But because you hear all the stories, I've heard the stories almost weekly of some tragic thing happening somewhere that happened and someone tried to cover it up. Let me make this clear. We will ne never have and never will cover up abuse. Never have. In fact, I've been pastor for 23 years. We've had two incidences that were, that were uh, rough. One was a man 20-some years ago who came to our church and kind of goosed or inappropriately touched a couple women in the church on a Sunday, a particular Sunday, um, like really awkward, you know, just, and, and they're married, insane situation, and said a couple of inappropriate things, and we, they happened on a Sunday, and we found out about it Sunday afternoon, and we dealt with them that week and never saw them again. 
Not, not because we tied them into a millstone around the lake. I mean, make it clear. We, uh, we are not admitting that we did that. Maybe, maybe we did. I don't know. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I can either confirm nor deny what happened. No, but uh, that we dealt with that. And it, it was the end of that. Dirty old men aren't going to just use church as a place to be dirty old men. That's not how we're here for. Uh, and then we had another situation many years back now where a minor who was victimized, uh, misappropriately treated themselves, and no one knew, inappropriately treated a couple of younger children wrong, not at church, but with the church relationships. And when we found out about it, what happened, immediately the authorities were called. Um, everyone who needed to know knew it was dealt with completely, lawfully, legally, and openly. And all consequences were accepted to help that child and those children get on their feet and go forward. And we did all of that completely the right way because and it was painful for everybody at the time. And that was years and years ago. And here's what I'm trying to say. Those things happen because we believe, we believe with all of our hearts, that we will never, and we want you to know this, if you're ever thinking about something wrong in your heart, we will never cover up. We will never sweep under the rug what needs to be dealt with. Jesus cares about this. We care about this. And this will be dealt with in a way that will honor and please the Lord. And that's for everyone's benefit. Now, isn't that heavy? But you know what? The churches need to say this today because it happens sometimes. And you, we just need to be clear that that's where we stand. So anyhow, I'm putting that out there. And I'm going to move on to the rest of the message, okay? So back to verse 5. Back to verse 5. Jesus said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Now, the reason we bring this up is because we want to serve God. This is the way we serve him. This is the way we serve the Lord. We can serve the Lord by serving the children. If we're going to do what Jesus did, we need to serve kids well. And if we serve kids well, we will serve families well. Because families want their kids served well. Families want to come out of a space where their kids are being served well and sit back in church and feel like they're getting served well for a minute. Have a place. If we, if we can cater and serve them, we can help the parents. It's a big deal. And that's what we want to do. There's a question that we've asked before at Lighthouse Church in recent, actually, we've asked it in recent years. We've asked it in recent months. Uh, I believe we did this this spring. We asked a question that we want to revisit from time to time, and I'm going to bring it up right now. The question is this. Are we in the way, or are we making a way for people to get to Jesus? Are we in the way, or are we making a way for people to get to Jesus? That's a big question. Because sometimes, as Jesus followers, and sometimes as churches, people are known to get in the way of people getting to Jesus. How do we do that? We do it because we're, we, we don't like people or how they vote or what they believe politically or how they act or how they look or whatever it may be. We're just upset. We're oh, just angry old. Christians are so many arrogant, judgmental, so sure they're right, stuck on themselves. Christians running around, distastefully treating other people in their hostilities and angers. Too many Christians... Um, behaving in, in, in dishonorable ways towards people that they disagree with, don't like. And we're in the way because we do that while we're calling ourselves Jesus followers and people who need to get to Jesus see us claiming to be of God. And we look, we look to them like gatekeepers. We look like a bunch of gatekeepers running around saying, we're the God crowd and we don't like how you, whatever, you know, you know how you look or how you vote or how you do this. I mean, there have been stupid things done in Jesus' name by Christian people who are just angry all the time, thinking they're somehow virtuous for doing so. 
And that arrogance and that judgmental spirit and that critical heart gets in the way of people getting to Jesus. We never want to be in the way. Churches are sometimes, they become cliques of people that like church done their way, the way they like it through the years, and they get stuffy and stale about them and they're the right ones and they're protective. People on the outside can come in if they come in the way they want them to, otherwise stay away. And we get in the way of people getting to Jesus. We don't want to be in the way. We want to be making a way for people to get to Jesus. We want to be stepping out of our preferences and serving people and saying, let me help you. Let me do what I need to do and pay the price I need to pay to get you to Jesus and not get in the way. So that's a great question. Are we in the way or making a way for people to get to Jesus? It goes for any, you can, put, you can change the word. Are we in the way or making a way for families to get to Jesus? Are we in the way or making a way for children to get to Jesus? And I want our church to be helping make a way to get the children to Jesus. I don't want to be the disciples that are saying, oh, no, the important stuff's going on here. Kids, uh, no, no, thank you. We want to be making a way. So what does that mean practically? And we'll be done in a few minutes here. Practically speaking, what does that mean? It means several things. Bear with me practically and we'll be done. It means having a safe, caring nursery for the smallest ones. Boy, is the nursery ever important, isn't it? Because without the nursery, I mean... It's sometimes hard. I mean, if, if all the babies ever came to church, came into a room and were running around during the sermon, A, people would be like dis- distracted. Some people would be irritated. Mom and dad would be too distracted to maybe embarrassed possibly. No one's getting anything out of that message. I might as well not be preaching at that point. Everything gets, the nursery's important. It's, it's not only for the kids can be careful, but mom and dad can come and feel like adults for a change. Like, I'm a human again. I'm a human again. I'm in a room and I'm a human again, you know? Um, but nursery is important. I'm going to pause right here and take a detour before I finish and go on. No job in this church is less important or more important than another. No job in this church is more important than any other job, and that includes mine. You say, well, John Arlen, your job's pretty important. You're the pastor. Ooh. All that means is I get to stand on the stage and the people see me on the camera and I never know. I, so I go in the store. But I might be the most recognizable person in the church possibly at the store. That's not all it's cracked up to be, by the way, believe me. Um, and uh, I might be the guy who, who you know, they, they, who's the pastor? Whatever that means. That is not more important than any other job in this church. It's just a job that someone has to hold. And God gave me the opportunity a number of years ago to, to fill this role for however long he wants me to. And we'll see what that looks like. But the truth is no job's more or less important. If, if my job is important. If I didn't show up on Sunday morning and didn't bring a sermon, like, what did we come here for? We didn't get, you know, this is imp- what we're doing at teaching God's word and speaking truth is important. So it's important what I do, but it's not more important. If we had a bunch of families coming to church with babies and no one watched the babies and everyone was distracted and maybe annoyed and distracted and the parents were, and no one was hearing the message anyhow, it's as if I wasn't even here anyhow. It's not less important to work the nursery than preaching on the stage. The worship team is very important. What they, do, they work hard for what they do. It's not less important or more important. The children's workers, that's not less or more. Thank God for those who clean the church. Because if you walk into a dirty church, listen, when I walk into a business and the bathroom is disgusting, I just walk right out, man. I'm just like, ah, I'm out of here. You know, because, because I'm afraid the people who work there didn't, they probably clean their hands allegedly in that bathroom, you know. And so I'm like, I'm out of here. 
I got that Jerry Seinfeld moment where I'm afraid of watching the guy, you know, make my pizza after, you know, the, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I'm just like, listen, I'm not going to eat here. So here's the thing. Every job is equally important. And there's no job, including this job that I'm, I'm holding currently, any more or less important in God's eyes. In fact, I wonder when we get to heaven, when God honors our work we've done for him, if some of us people who got the more of the celebrity roles, if we go, we go to the back of the line, we get in the back row. Because he's going to probably be the people forward who, who did a lot of stuff without any fanfare or recognition. Because nothing is less or more important. Everything we do is all a team effort to make the thing work. And any part that's not in place hurts everything. Anything that's missing hurts the whole package. We all have a role. And so the nursery is an important role. We know that. And, and, and if you work in the worship team, it's work to work in the worship team, but you probably enjoy music, so you probably get some benefit out of it at least for all the work you put in. I, I preach my message. I work hard on these messages, and I, we, we do it as a team. And I, but... It's work sometimes, and, but I, I, get, I get fulfillment from it. Some people work with children, and they get fulfillment from the children because it, it makes them feel they like, they like kids. But the nursery is just one of those jobs, man. Like, when you work in the nursery, it's difficult because you don't see an immediate return. You might smell one. <laughs> and then you'll see one. But listen, the truth is, is it is every bit as important Everything is important to making this church serve families well is what I do. Every bit. And I'm not, being, I'm not trying to be modest. That's just the truth. Um, so we serve, it means creating a safe, caring nursery for the smallest ones. It means having a kids program, a kids program that is well-staffed enough to spend the time and energy to connect with the kids and care about them to connect with the kids and, and be glad. And we need kids who, people who like kids, not just are, oh, get in here, I'm grumpy because my systems are not being followed just right. We don't need that. But people who are like, hey, how are you? Glad to see you. Love the kids. Pour into the kids. Find out how their week has been. Be, build themselves into their lives. Teach them about God. A safe, well-staffed place to connect with the kids and care about them. It means having people who welcome families as they arrive, help them know where their kids go. It's a bit, we, one thing we've always struggled with at Lighthouse, and this is on me, it's all my fault as the leader, it, it stops here, but we've always struggled to have a, a really efficient uh, guest services team. And the thing about guest services is this. Um, that thing should, if someone walks into church and they don't have kids, or not yet, or they've already raised them, they might just figure it out with no one's there to help them. Like, I think that's the auditorium there, and they'll probably find a bathroom if they need one, although it's better to help them. But when people come with families and they show up, they're like, do they, have a, do they have a nursery for my kids? Do they have a kids program? Where do I go? And they have people that are willing to say, hey, we're glad you're here. Let me help you know where to go next. Let me get you a situation. Let me get you sitting down after your kids are cared for so that you can be helped yourself. Because the whole family benefits when we serve families and children well. And people who are warm and inviting to adults to let the adults know that they matter as much to Jesus as their kids do. It's why we are for Cedar Lake. If you've heard us a long time, you know it. You see it on our bumper stickers. You hear us talk about it. For Cedar Lake. Something that we say a lot. Our, our vision statement here. For far too long, the church has been known for what it's against. We want to be known for what we're for. 
and we are four Cedar Lake. And we are four Cedar Lake by things that we do outside of the church, things that we do outside of Sunday morning services, things like a food pantry that we operate or a blood drive that we host or volunteering at the schools, like some of us volunteer at the schools every week and things we do. We want to be in the community. We want to be away from Sunday morning being four Cedar Lake. But here's the thing. Being for Cedar Lake is not only what happens away from church time, it's what happens at church time. It's what happens inside also. Here's why. Because when we go out and we serve our community, we do so to hopefully bring them to God. To, to serve them to say, hey, we're serving you because God served us and God wants to serve you. We want to get them to him. We're serving you because we care, because God cares about us and God cares about you. We're trying to get them to him. And if they say, oh, wow, I want to find out what God has for me, that's our ultimate goal. When they show up to church, curious about that, if we don't serve them well when they come here, we're not being for Cedar Lake. That's why even have a church. Um, the, the thing we want to do is serve people well and be for them and for the community, for our community. It's a big deal to us. In other words, if we say that what we do in the community is welcoming, but they don't feel welcome here, what have we really done? Right? So, there is needs. And I said earlier, Jesus told his disciples one time, he says, the harvest is already plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that's just how it always goes. It's the Pareto principle, the 80-20 principle. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's just it's how things always go. But here's the thing. He says, the, labor, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. And he says this, pray. Don't pray for a harvest. Pray for God to send laborers into the harvest. So get your sleeves rolled up and let's just get busy. And as we're getting busy, say, God, would you send more laborers? Right? We're praying for that. And I'm, I'm not just praying to God. I'm, I'm asking God and I'm asking you, can you join in and help? Because we try to be efficient, but there's so much that, that, that just is fragile Spots that aren't deeply benched, some things that have shown wear and tear. So, for example, we could use more help in the nursery. We try to rotate our nursery workers about once every four or so weeks. Prior to COVID, we had a seven week, seven people on a rotation team. So, people worked once every week. We only co cover kids for 1045 service. We only have to do nine o'clock. But at 1045, we had seven people rotating once every seven weeks. And then COVID happened. We lost a couple at COVID and we didn't get back. And then since then, we had a couple, and then we had, we had a couple of people drop off. Jen has been a part of our team, and they're, they're transitioning away. So, you know, we, we have three strong ones, and if one of them drops down two, we could use four or five workers who rotate, because many hands make light work, so they can step in and, 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 and just have to do it once every month, roughly. And that's a big way. You say, well, is that important? It's, it's so important. It's as important as this right here. We could use kids' ministry workers. We could use the same thing, a rotation of once every four-week kids' workers would be great. But we could use once a week. We have once a week kids' workers over there right now who are here. They come, they come to the early service, otherwise they'd never have church because they work in there every week. They come to the early service, and then they go over there, and they spend week in, week out, unless they're sick. They're always there, and, um, you know, they, they help our kids. And that's, we need, the kids need to come to church and see consistent faces there. So we could use some weekly helpers. We could really use some people who say, I can do it regularly. We could also use people who say, I can do it. If they had four people saying, I can do it once every four weeks, we wouldn't put you in charge of a small group because we want weekly helpers for that, but we could at least have some extra bodies in there. And I'd rather have too many kids workers than too few kids workers. Because too many kids workers were ready for more growth. Too few were stressed to the max, we're not doing a good job. So better to be overstaffed than understaffed. 
We could use help in, I mean, everything. I mean, everything we do, worship, uh, you know, audio, video. Thank God for the audio, video team. Without that, my message would be lost to the online crowd or in the room with PA. So everything's equally important. We could use help in those areas, cleaning, you know, greeting, guest services. But specifically today, family ministry, nursery and children. We, would you help us? Now, I want to say this to you. One of the hard things of me preaching this way is that I hate to say to ask people to do something that I'm not currently doing. In other words, I don't work in the kids' program on Sunday morning because I'm currently preoccupied up here. And yet, here's what I want to say to you because I want you to know this. We have through the years. Before I became a pastor, since I was a teenage boy, I served in our church with Children's Church. When I was in Bible school and college, we worked both in bus routes, and we also worked with inner-city children in a lot of ways. One of the things we did was my wife and I, uh, for a number of years, we oversaw a whole group of inner-city children brought to church in third and fourth grade, anywhere from 200 kids to 500 kids per week in third and fourth grade came to our church. Think about that. Two to 500 kids every week, depending on the time of year. And we had to teach them a lesson, have treats, have music, have uh, teachers for small class times, and we had to organize all the, the volunteers. I mean, it was an operation. And we did that serving those kids for free. We, it, was a, it was a volunteer thing we did for years. We also served in the uh, special needs uh, teens and adults, uh, educationally slow and special needs for different reasons uh, group. For seven years, we did that. Just volunteered to do that. We worked in nursing homes during the week as well. Um, but we've always been involved in children's ministry. And I believe with all my heart, then I became a pastor and I got this role. I got was, this role opened up and here I am. And if it changes tomorrow, if something happens in our future and I'm no longer a pastor and we're attending a church somewhere, once we settled in, I believe that Michelle and I would be the kind of people that, we're, that we do what we've always done. How can we get involved? How can we serve? And we would end up probably working with children on some level because we have a history of that. Because I believe it's that important. And nothing impresses me more then when I look at a children's ministry and I see adults, especially, and maybe this is whatever, but especially men who are willing to sit in small chairs and small tables or sit on the floor and get in a circle with kids and say, how was your week? And pour into them and do a couple crafts or help them, you know, with whatever's going on. Because those kids need a male role model in this world, desperately. Men and women who are willing to step up and just love those children where they are. They're, we're all important. But we need, we could help, we could use help. Weekly help with the kids program, even once every four weeks help in there would be nice. Once every few weeks, we could use a couple of nursery volunteers. We could do it if God had me in a different role. And no job is less important. It's all equal. So can we help, can you help us be four seater? Like, can you help us be a church that reaches families? Because if a church is not, let me be honest with you, if a church is not connecting with families, if a church is not connecting with families and reaching families, it's on a slow track to death. Family, churches don't serve families well in all those generations. What happens is they slowly become old and they slowly lose generations until there's no one around who's younger. And they usually don't see it coming until it's too late. It happens all the time. It happens every week in America. Churches shut down. Usually there's been a slow decay over a number of years. And at some point, the decay is happening. But it's kind of like our physical health when we can't see what's wrong until something shows up. And then we know something's wrong. And then sometimes it's too late. Sometimes churches don't see the, what's happening. And, and so one day they wake up and they're aware that we've lost everything. 
And they don't know how to recapture that, and they try, and it's hard until they die. It happens all the time. And we're in a community that's growing with families, and honestly, churches who can't rise to the occasion to serve families well in our community should shut their operation down and find churches that are doing that well and help better staff them so they can do their job better. Because we want to do well. And our, our last church does well, for especially a small church. We, we, we put a good show forward, but it's a handful of people really doing the brunt of it. And thank you to every person who does anything. No job is too little and no little is... T- I, I, if you've been around, if you've volunteered here before, you've heard me say this, and I'll say this every time that you volunteer to do something. You are more important than what you do. Like, we, you're important by yourself and what you do is a bonus. And if you're ever doing something, you've got to step away from it. You don't become unimportant or we're not upset with you. We're thankful for what you were able to do for a while, and maybe you'll do it again one day. We don't know, but we're always thankful. You're more important than what you do. That's the bottom line. But we also want to celebrate and cheer when God gives us more laborers to help us do all the important things that we want to do to serve our church and serve the families and be for Cedar Lake, and it takes help. Here's how you can help us today, and I'll be done. Specifically, I'm going to ask you if you're willing to help us in one of these areas specifically with family ministry. Or any area. Any area is fine, but especially when it comes to, I could use nursery, a couple of volunteer rotator people, children's help. I'm gonna, but, but anything even beyond that, anything. Would you do me a favor right now? I'm going to ask you before we go home, and you can do it while I'm talking right now. You can do it in a minute here. Would you grab a connection card in, in one of the CBECs in front of you and write your name and a way to contact you and what you're willing to do? And if you're sitting here saying, well, Arlen, I'm thinking about it and I want to pray about it some more. I'm not sure. Do me a favor. Don't, don't tune me out yet. Do me a favor. If you're even thinking about it or praying about it, take a card and let us know that you're thinking about it and praying about it. Because if you don't write it down, you're going to go home and mean to, and then life's going to happen, and you're going to forget until five months from now when we're discussing our needs again, right? And so if you'll just write it down, I can follow up with you down the road a little bit and saying, hey, did you have a chance to think about that or pray about that? And you can tell me, yeah, God told me no or not at this time. Or, hey, yes, I can. Thanks for reminding me. I can follow up with you if I know that you're thinking about it, but I can do nothing to help if I don't know. So if you would grab a connection card and say, hey, yes, I can help, or I'm thinking about maybe helping in this area, please write that down for me this morning. And before you leave, drop it in that box where we, people do our giving because we don't pass an offering plate around here. Um, so you can do our giving here, but drop your card in there and let us know that you're good, you can or you're willing to pray about helping us with a certain area so we can follow up at some point. Please do that before you leave today. As we're praying the Lord to send heart laborers into the harvest as we enter a fall season for the next school year because we, we deal with summer when summer gets here. Summer's always its own thing. But as the school year starts, We want to have a good year, and it takes many hands to do that. And the question we ask is this. Are we in the way or making a way for people to get to Jesus? Are we in the way or making a way for families to get to Jesus? Are we in the way or are we making a way for children to get to Jesus? And the best way to do that is to do it together. And it sure is fun to have people on board helping us serve. I don't know about you. I don't know what drives you in life. But if you want to see Arlen Walters get emotional, and I'm, by the way, confession, I'm the emotional one in my family. Michelle and I could watch a sad movie. I'm the one that's crying more at first and most. I cried at the end of Con Air, so that just tells you how bad I am, okay? Because it was sad. The dad out of prison and his daughter, he saw his daughter again after seven years. You know, I'm just saying. So anyhow, look, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> you want to get me emotional in a spiritual way. Here's how it works. 
Nothing moves me faster and deeper than the thought of what matters most to me. I want to get to heaven someday and hear my heavenly father say, that's my son, that's my child. I'm well pleased. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I got goosebumps right now. That's what I live for. That's what I want. Don't you? I want to serve our Lord. I want to serve him with people who want to serve him with us. If you can help us, we'll get back to James next week. But for today, I'm just calling out to Lighthouse to help us be for Cedar Lake, for our Savior, serving God, serving family, serving children, and serving our Lord together as a team. Thank you for listening.